they talk about it. Welcome, welcome back to the She Can Talk the Podcast sub-series, Urban Celebrity Crime Series, Episode 2. Yes, y'all, this is episode two, long awaited. First of all, I want to say thank you so much. Um, My first episode, which was about High Five, did really well. A lot of you people were shocked, just like myself, when I was sharing the information on uh, everything that happened to that group and um, how interesting it was. It wasn't interested in a good way, unfortunately, but... That's what this series is about. It's about celebrities, urban celebrities in particular, that had crimes or were affected by some type of crime. And this episode is no different. This episode is about the Fugees. I know, I know, one of my favorite groups personally, but we're going to go with the Fugees. We're going to start there. And um, what I like to do is give a little insight into who the group is in case, you know, I know I have a diverse audience as long, even though I'm like, who don't know who the Fugees are, you know, some people might not. So I'd like to give a quick history on who the group is and then we could take it from there. So, um, Fugees is a hip hop trio. They are an American, but I want to correct that. They are a Haitian American hip-hop trio that formed in 1990 in South Orange, New Jersey. Deriving its name from a shortening of the word refugees because the group consists of Wyclef and Praz and Lauren Hill. Wyclef and Praz both have Haitian descent. The jury's still out on um, some things you read. They say Lauren Hill has Haitian descent, that her parents are Haitian. Other things you read, they say that she's just a Baptist family. I don't I'm not sure if that's like Southern or what that is, but I knew that all three of them met in New Jersey in high school and pursued a career as a rap group. So of course, um, we know Lauren Hill from Sister Act, you know, early out. Some people might remember her from Soap Opera. I think I, I think I want to say it was As the World Turns. I was not watching Soap Operas back then. So I don't know or remember for sure which one. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. You know, I'm always open for corrections. And, um... Yeah, so Praz also went to the same school with um, with Wyclef and Lauren. It is, to my understanding, that Praz was the one that was spearheading the movement of bringing this group to fruition, which is pretty dope. Um, also, on top of that, Wyclef is a musical genius. Lauren Hill's a talent with the whole... She's like a... Well, is it a triple threat? She raps, she sings, she performs, she's an actress. Like, come on, triple threat. So the group is, um, in my book, I'm just going to give you my memories growing up, listening to the Fugees. In my book, they were a very highly intelligent hip hop group. You know, they rhymed about Porgy and Bess. Like, what the, who the hell's rhyming about Porgy and Bess or throwing metaphors with Porgy and Bess and, you know, rap orgies like Porgy and Bess, capture your bounty like Elliot Ness. Come on now, goosebumps, goosebumps. If I had an air horn, <laughs> air horn immediately because that's definitely bars. Um, just to give you an insight into the type of stuff that they did, um, 
I grew up loving them. What I also loved about their music is I'm Jamaican and I love the way that they fused their Caribbean heritage into their music. Back in those days, we had like Shabba Ranks and we had Supercat, but we never really had like a rapper that blended them. We did have KRS-One and for the most part, up until that point, KRS-One was like one of the few that that really brought his culture to the forefront, like his heritage, like I'm Jamaican. Day, all you soccer MCs, will you please come out to play? Hey, so you know, all that stuff heavily influenced me into becoming a rapper and being a rapper that never, at one point in time, you would not know I'm not Jamaican. My name, Gongali. It's Jamaican and it's basically Jamaican for meaning for a rebel with a cause or a revolutionary with a cause. So nine times out of 10, when you say Gangali, they think of a man. So I always get a lot of, um, imposter syndromes, but guess what? They're men. So I know y'all rolling, but, um, yeah, like for the word it's in culture considered a more masculine word in the Caribbean culture, but I don't know. I feel like I wear it well and I am Gangali and I'm Ganga and I'm a hundred percent woman, but all for me back to the Fuji. So really and truly the only one that we're not going to hear about today, but all right. So yeah, I backtrack. You're going to hear a little bit, but it's not really a crime. It was just like a very mysterious death. And I hate to bring up, you know, topics like this, but there we go. We're going to, oh, just like with the last episode, I'm going to go from the mildest crime to the most extreme crime. So here we go. The mildest crime is going to be, um, it's not even really a crime. It was just a mysterious death. So once again, I want to say condolences. I know I don't want to be bringing up people's memories and going on that road, but this is what the series is about. Wyclef's father passed away some years ago. And, um, I believe he was working on his car and the car crushed him in the garage and they found him in a, you know, in a terrible state. And, um, you know, it, 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 cause like, if you read headlines, you know, it happened in 2001 and when you read the headlines, it was like, why Clef Jean's father killed, you know, that's how like different outlets, like allhiphop.com, for example, reported it. And, um, his name was the Reverend Gesner. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Gesner Jean. And he was killed in a freak accident. Um, he was pinned against his garage door by an unoccupied Bentley that was owned by Wyclef. So it was, it's a, it was weird. Like they said that, um, his sister said that she heard like weird rumblings in the garage. And when they went out there, they found the father, pinned up against the garage door and the car was pinned up against him. No one was driving the car. Very weird, right? Very, very weird. Um, it just really depends on how you look at that story. Like how did that happen? They said it was no signs of foul play. That's why I said it really wasn't a crime. It was more of a mysterious death. They said the car was checked 
by a mechanic and it was not malfunctioning. So what happened, right? Like, was it some type of, I don't know, like, what's that movie, Final Destination? Definitely some Final Destination stuff was popping off there. And um, once again, rest in peace to Reverend Jean. I'm not trying to bring that up for, like, you know, fame or popularity. It's just, that's how I do with the groups. I go from the least crime to the most intense crime. And um, it really wasn't a crime, but it falls on the mysterious. So I I definitely wanted to bring that out. On a lighter note, real quick, I did want to share a story about Wyclef and how cool of an individual he is. So, um... I want to say it was 2018 or 2017 Christmas time. You know, some people don't know. I, you know, was working for T-Mobile during those times. And um, he came to the job and gave a concert on the roof of T-Mobile. Because I want to say the executive over our area at the time was his cousin. And he was from Jersey. And when you see him, they, they favored. So I would not have looked at him and said, oh, that's why Clef's cousin until I seen them together. And I was like, oh yeah, I can see that. But nonetheless, um, he came out, performed, greeted people. He was in the elevator and like, a Mickey Mouse outfit and everybody was like, what the hell is Mickey Mouse doing in the elevator with us? And he's like hugging people and waving at people and everyone was kind of taking it back. Like what the hell is me? And then he took it off and it was Wyclef. So that was a, a great thing, you know, like that he did. I'm, I'm pretty sure he got paid for it, but the morale and the energy that he brought to the job that day was crazy. So I just wanted to share a positive note about Wyclef because that's what I know him for. I know him for being a super positive dude, doing great things for his community. Ah, he was caught up in a little, um, nonprofit organization scandal when I think Haiti had the earthquakes and, um, they were trying to say that his organization was not giving the money to them, but there's not really much more details on that. So the jury is out on that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to include that in this episode. Um, but that's really it for Wyclef. So let me see. It just really depends on what you think would be considered severe next. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with Lauren Hill because we're going from the least to the worst crime within this group. So, excuse me, second crime was with Lauren Hill. 2013, Lauren Hill was sentenced to prison for failing to file tax returns for more than $2.3 million in income. I remember that vaguely. They basically a lot of celebrities, Wesley Snipes, um, the Ronald Isley, Lauren Hill, you know, a lot of celebrities went to jail for tax evasion, failure to file their taxes. I want to say she was, yeah, she was sentenced to like three months home confinement 
And then she had to, you know, of course, pay restitutions. So it wasn't like a, a mega crime where she was like embezzling or going out her way. I honestly feel like it was like a crime of the rich, right? She probably had like an accountant or some type of person in charge of the bills and the books. And, you know, with her not being on top of them or having someone watching them, you know, things can go awry. So I don't really, you know, go into the depth of it or saying like, oh, she was jacked up wrong, but just give you a little in- insight. Um, they said during 2005, 2006, and 2007, Hill received more than $1.8 million in income from various sources, but didn't file her tax returns for those years. Although Hill pled guilty to charges specifically related to those tax years, her sentence also takes on an account or takes into account additional information or additional taxes and income from 2008 and 2009, which she also failed to file returns on. Because I was going to say as I was reading that, and that's probably why I sounded jacked up reading it, I know that you can go up to a maximum of three years without filing your taxes, and but then you just have to file all three of those taxes at once. I've done that one time in my life. It's not pretty because you really don't remember what the fuck you did three years ago, right? But you, And then you have to itemize and go through three years worth of it. When I was in my 20s, I did that dumb shit, learned my lesson, will never do that again. Just file your taxes. I don't give a shit what you make, file your taxes. But um, so I was a little taken aback when they said that, you know, the first three years, which was five, six, and seven, but no, she had eight and nine as well. So literally that's about five years of taxes that was not filed, plus the income was being documented. So hence her her time. But um, she didn't really get much time, thank God. She got three months. And 2023, Lauren Hill's coming back bigger and better than ever. She's on tour right now. Actually, the entire Fuji's is on tour right now. I love to see it. I'm, I'm trying to buy some tickets for them when they come to Tampa, but either way. So yeah. So that's the Laura Hill story. She had a tax evasion joint. She was facing four years. So it was really good to see that she ultimately got three months restitution and it was not a big thing. And she was able to come back and bounce back from that. So the next person, cause of course, it goes up and uh, you might be saying like, damn, this is going to be a quick episode, Colleen, because you're just zipping through all of them. Really? I'm zipping through the lighter ones because there's no, it's like they're older. All of these crimes are older except for this next one, but this next one's still not even the worst crime that's associated with this group. But, um, the most recent crime of all of these is this next one. And you know, I'm talking about prize, right? Prize recently, was caught up in a foreign influence case. So he met, um, there was, I'm trying to find the dude's name. Oh my goodness. So there was this like Asian Chinese, oh, John, Joe Lo. There we go. He's a Malaysian billionaire, Joe Lo. So Joe Lo stole money from Malaysia at like billions of dollars, like, like $4 billion. And this was globe trotting around the world. So, you know, you got a lot of money, you flash and people like, yo, give him whatever he want. He came to New York, 
He said he was trying to do a movie, Wolf of Wall Street. He actually funded the movie Wolf of Wall Street. So he's like looking to fund the movie. He's looking to, you know, break into Hollywood. Someone, a mutual friend, says, yo, prize this dude. He got money. He thought it around. Just show him around New York a little bit. You know, he's trying to meet some celebrities. Boom. So he was like, all right, cool. He's, he went to the party and this is all, you know, allegedly coming from, you know, statements, documents and, and prize himself. But he said he met Jolo at a party in Manhattan and Jolo not only bought out the club he was in, but he bought out the club across the street, like buying everybody drinks. So he was like, damn, dude just spent like half a million on drinks. This dude ain't playing so I don't know a hundred percent prizes mind frame to say if he was like, yo, I'm gonna grab me a piece of that because he's just throwing it really nilly. Or if they entered into a specific agreement where he paid him for services of whatever foreign nature. But, um, years later, so back in 2012, he used um, Joe's illegal foreign money to buy seats for people at fundraisers for President Obama. So that's kind of where the influence came in. I guess they were looking at it like he used foreign illegal currency that was stolen um, to f- basically support a fundraiser for President Barack Obama. Then after they started investigating Lowe for stealing money, he wanted um, Proz and others to help convince the Trump White House to go easy on him. So once he was actually caught for his crimes, his international crimes, and was being brought to justice, Joe Lowe said, hey, look, I got some homies that are my character witnesses. Um, you know, what's his name? Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, prize, Michelle prize, a couple of people that he's dealt with financially, you know, but they were also from entertainment, like the entertainment world, not really the political world. So he got them to come testify on his behalf to say, Hey, he's a good guy. Like go easy on him with the sentencing type of thing. So as that was happening, um, one part of the scheme, well, alleged scream, was they were trying to get Trump to send a descendant living in the U.S. bank back to China to to kind of like curry the favor with the Chinese government. Basically saying like, hey, can we put a little money over here? You can say that you gave that to China to kind of help China be lenient on me over here. So basically rubbing palms, bribery. And the prosecutor said that Michelle, which is Praz, Praz, well, Michelle, his name is, he collected about $100 million from Lowe to try and influence two U.S. US presidential administrations to kind of help shape or influence Joe Lowe's case with the whole billions of dollars he stole internationally. So he actually got away. He didn't, he didn't go to jail. He skirted and he's still free and living on the lamb. As far as last time I've looked it up, Joe Lowe, but, um, they got prize. They got prize on these crazy charges 
for influencing, using foreign influence, <laughs> which what, how did you get caught up in this Chinese man case? But anyway, um, yeah, so in the days of the testimony, witnesses included former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, a top White House advisor to former President Donald Trump, actor Leonardo DiCaprio, who was in the movie The Wolf of Wall Street, funded by Jao Lo. Um, yeah, testimonies all over the place. Crazy, crazy, unexpected case. And they found him guilty. That's the crazy thing. So now what's going to be what entails in that guilty case. Like, does he go to jail for being the middleman carrying that money? Who knows? But that's a crazy, um, weird thing to get caught up in, right? Like your homie calls you up and say, yo, you a celebrity dude's just trying to hang out with celebrities. He got dough and you like bet I am a celebrity. And you know, like Right now, they pay celebrities to do walkthroughs. Like, you could just walk through the club, pose for a couple of pictures, get you a complimentary drink, chill by the DJ for a couple of hours, say, ah, on the mic a couple of times. Get a, You get, like, 5000 upwards of 20000 for that, depending on who you are and your status. Yeah. So, I'm pretty sure he was like, oh, he just wants to pay to be around a celebrity? I'll go ahead. But then he started to become involved with him, and the guy was cool. Like, the guy was flashing money, supporting whatever endeavor and dreams you got. So yeah, you know, he became cool with him. So it came back to bite him. Now, do he have a sentence as of yet? That I don't know. So he, he's basically, it's convicted of conspiracy and witness tampering on behalf of the Joe Lowe case. Ironically, Joe Lowe is not even in jail. He's on the lam in China or allegedly in China and this and prize is kind of stuck holding the bag literally. So I don't have any updates as far as on a sentence yet. So I do also know that he's on tour with Lauren. So that's a good thing. And hopefully that they'll kind of look at it for what it is and realize that he's just a, not just an entertainer, but he's an entertainer. And this dude wanted to be adjacent to entertainers. And so he was a victim of of just being in the wrong place. Now, I don't know. I could say that, but a hundred million is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So we'll see. We'll see. Now, if he took that money and pocketed it and said, yeah, I'm going to do this, that would have been something different, I guess. So, yeah. So that is the least to moderate. We haven't gotten to the worst one yet, guys. Least to moderate. Um, crimes that affected the Fujis, you know? Um, but this one here that we're about to get into, who Lord, who Lord, who my Lord, let me start now. Alrighty. So do you guys remember the Fuji song, which to me, this song, when this when I heard the song, I was in awe. But when I saw this music video, it even right now as I'm talking about it, I got goosebumps all over my body. And I'm like, the same feeling I had when I saw it for the first time. I saw a cute Lauren with that afro, with the braids in the movie theater. And it just gave you a good, wholesome vibe. 
of like how it was back in the days going to the movie theaters, you know? And, um, yeah, it was a good vibe. When I saw that music video, I said to myself, yo, it's over. They, they blowing up. They out of here, you know? And it was the truth. They were out of there after that. They blew up. They were all over the place. And then Lauren Hill turned around and put out a crazy, um, solo album after that. Then Proz put up a crazy solo album of his own and they were recognized for being a dope group collectively and then dope artists individually. So can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong. But, um, excuse me, in the midst of it all, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about, um, in particular, not necessarily the group, but the director of that music video. Now stick with me now because I'm going to be jacking up some names. So his real name is Charles McGill. Oh, that was his legal name. But then he went by um, Aswad Allende. Aswad Allende directed the video Killing Me Softly. That dope ass video with the Roberta Flack remake with them in the movie theater with beautiful Lauren Hill at the center of this video just glowing and emanating this light and this beauty that, you know, basically her sitting there redefined beauty, women beauty or a woman's beauty in hip hop. I don't even know if I'm making any sense, you know, but, um, she definitely set the bar really fucking high after that killing me soft and kill, killing me softly video gorgeous the energy in that video i was hot because i wasn't in the fucking video how about that like real fucking talk that's the only thing i did not like about the video is that i wasn't in it word is bomb <laughs> but amazing video amazing artistry visuals the color coordination the cohesiveness the song the beauty of it amazing so come to find out the killing me softly video was a collective joint endeavor between lauren hill and aswad Allende, who was the music director of this video the video was so groundbreaking so well put together executed that it won the mtv video music award for best r&b video that year and i want to say it was 1996 i want to say it was like yeah 96 yeah that he won that he was on i remember that like them accepting the award i remember them accepting the um you know, the speech, the dude was on stage, his wife, and we're going to remember that. Keep that in mind. Was on stage, the Fugees, the producer of the video, of the song, you know, like, it was a big thing. And it was big for us, like, in the hip-hop community, because, A, they were Caribbean, they were Haitian. You know, it was like, you know, with me being Jamaican, like, we're coming from a third-world country to America, and where our voice is being heard, you know? So, that was, it was great. It was amazing. Um, 
I just I loved everything about them during that time. Like they didn't do any wrong for me or in my eyes, you know. But let's bring it up. Let's bring it up to a little bit more modern time. Around 2010. So long after the the highlight years of the Fuji's as a group, many years after you know, Ayinde Aswad Ayinde shot that um, "Killing Me Softly" video. It's now 2010, and Aswad Ayinde, aka Charles McGill, is brought up on charges of fathering children with his children. Incest, yes, incest. Now, the crazy thing, especially coming from that area, I'm from New York, Jersey's right there, the tri-state area, etc. Coming from that area, when we were young, <clears throat> and we would say stuff like, oh, you know, your brother's your father, and, and joke with people like that, or even joke about incests and stuff, which is really not a joking matter at all, we would say that was a Southern thing, or we would say, like, that's the hillbillies and the rednecks, and I'm not being racist, and I'm not being discriminatory. I'm just saying lack of ignorance. When we were younger, we thought that incest was not something that happened in our community, much less in the tri-state area. So when this came out that the director of the Killing Me Softly video had 27 children with his nine children I believe it was what the F what the F so the biggest song for the Fugees or one of the biggest songs for the Fugees is is directly tied to one of the biggest scandals in the urban community of New Jersey yes this dude knocked up his kids and made 27 children with his children. So I think I said nine. Let me correct that. It was six. Okay. No, no. Let me look at this again. No, no, no. So yeah, it's correct. He had nine children and then of his children, he sired or, gave made multiple children with his children so the one who broke the case open um aziza allende i think her name is i apologize if i'm butchering any of this stuff here i apologize but aziza allende was the daughter that he would carry around the fujis and he would introduce her as his young wife she was even at the award show on stage and everyone was under the impression that that was his young wife. She was pregnant. She had children. She had six to be exact for her father. And he was, I, I don't know if it was because she was the oldest child or what, but he wouldn't even take his wife with him to these events. 
he took this daughter and he introduced her as his young wife. You can look her up on YouTube. No BS here. She has her own YouTube channel and she talks about life after her dad, right? Like after all this went went down. So she talks about it. The crazy thing, which it doesn't surprise me because black people are really smart and intelligent regardless of their environments or lack of, but it, it really impressed me how intelligent she is, right? Excuse me. They were homeschooled by their dad and their mom, right? Their dad, the same incest wise, we're going to call him daddy, baby, daddy. But anyway, the father delivered all her children and then he delivered all his kids. So it's like at 27, you should be a pro at delivering kids, etc. But, um, she never went to like any doctors for pregnancy throughout her pregnancy for well, wellness care. None of that stuff. They did everything at home. She was educated at home, everything. So to see her now with her six children, you know, coming out after all of this, surviving all of that, you don't really see, I mean, you see a little bit of trauma there. Of course, there's going to be some trauma. That's a crazy situation, but, um, she's, she articulates well and she has, um, she seems very level headed. So I don't know if it was therapy or what, but she seems okay on the other side of it. Like that's still yet to be seen if all the children are okay on the other side of it. But, um, Aziza, which is the main one that he started with and she sighed, he sired six of, you know, his kids with her and he brought her in, out in public. Like she was the main wife. <clears throat> so it's, it was it, crazy. So he has a wife, his wife, um, told his daughter that you stole my man. And they had like a jealousy rivalry thing, like a animosity towards each other. So that was twisted, you know? And, um, one thing I will say, I'm not here to give any, you know, you know, no judgment. I'm not here to pass judgment. I'm just really telling you about this urban celebrity crime. But one thing I found interesting as she spoke, which I mean, I don't know. I've never been in a situation like that to say what is what, but you can tell that she still loves her father and maybe not in a fatherly way. I mean, she has six kids for him. So one and two makes three, right? So, um, I seen one of her most recent YouTube videos is she said she visited her father in jail recently. So this dude did all of this abuse and was abusive on top of the, he was physically abusive on top of the the sexual abuse. But, um, I don't know. I guess that's a part of how God wants us to be right. To be forgiven and forgive the people who've done us wrong. So I will say that I, I'm very impressed. I'm highly impressed with, you know, her diction and her, her way of thinking and the compassion that she has towards the people that did her wrong. Cause I feel like her mom did her wrong 
just as much as her dad did. Excuse me, guys. I hit the mic right there. My bad. But I feel like her mom did her wrong just as much as the dad. But I observed that she has a little bit more compassion for her father than her mother. It could be because maybe she resents the mom for not saving them from that, right? Because, I mean, shit, I would. I'd be like, but you knew what was going on. You knew he was taking my cookies at nighttime, and you still blamed me, you know? So a lot of weird mental dynamics there. So <clears throat> ultimately, the whole goal, right, the the thinking that Oswald Allende, which is the dad, a.k.a. Charles McGill, a.k.a. the video director for the Fugees, um, his way of thinking or his mind at the time was he's going to re- repopulate Earth with the strongest people because he's chosen and his people is chosen and he's not going to taint the bloodline. So he's going to keep a straw, a strong bloodline to create the strongest people. He said he was chosen and that's what he's going to do. And his children will be the one that will save us from doomsday, AKA mental break. Okay. That's what I see there. So they fucked around with him. They was rocking with him. The wife is right there. The wife didn't even leave through all of this. She helping delivering her kids' kids. Like, what the? Mm. But anyway. So, um, yeah. So he would rape his daughters. Wow. Let me look. See, as I'm reading this. I'm coming across new information. So they say in order to keep his doomsday plan a secret, Allende Oswald, Oswald often raped his daughters in an abandoned funeral home and delivered the babies he had with them on his own to avoid prying eyes, according to documents from the 2010 case. He also told his kids to avoid their peers, which was relatively easy because they were homeschooled. So basically, don't talk to the neighbors. You can't go outside and play. Like, stay home. They were homeschooled, so they didn't even move around. Um, there was really no one to ask questions because of that, right? The mom distanced herself from her family way before this happened. She was the first victim, if you ask me. And then from there, it just kind of trickled down to the children, etc. So according to authorities, his... Uh, Aswana Yindi's reign of terror lasted for nearly 20 years with the family bouncing around Florida and New Jersey in order to evade child welfare authorities. To keep his wife and children in line, Yindi would beat them with wooden boards and steel-toed boots for every minor transgression. The wife says she was afraid to ever accuse him of being uh, demented or being a pedophile because... She knew the word and um, it would trigger a beating, basically. Like she would dare to say that because she would get beat severely. So ultimately the daughter, so she he had sons and he allowed his sons to leave because guess what? I guess he didn't want his sons sleeping with the, his their sisters or whatever. So one of his sons went away, got his own place, was working, but he would still come back to the family and help out or bring food and money because of their situation. So one day he went there and Aziza's daughter, or I'm not going to say daughter, child. I want to say it was a daughter, but one of her kids was severely sick. 
and been sick for uh, several days up until this point without any improvement. Mm-hmm. So by the time her brother came, the brother was like, yo, we got to take this baby to the hospital. And he was like, you know what? I'll take her. Like, let me and her go. And they won't think nothing. They'll just think that it's either our baby or, you know, a brother and sister, whatever. And so he took Aziza, he took the sick baby, and he went to the hospital. When he got to the hospital, Aziza was like, oh, my God, this is the first time out the house. She made a note or put a note in the in the baby's pocket, like, you know, breaking down everything. Oh, no. um, No, when it was coming to ask her for, like, medical insurance and, you know, the name of the patient, the name of the parents. So they asked her name. And she gave her name. And they said, ask for her parents' name. She gave the parents' name. Then they asked for the baby's name. She gave the baby's name. But then she said, well, what's the parents of the baby's name? And she put her father's name down and her name down. And she said she did it on purpose because she hoped that that would draw attention to the situation, which it did. And then um, social services was called. The whole thing was busted open from there. From there, they weren't able to go back to the house, I believe. And then, you know, it was just a whole trickle-down effect from there. He got arrested. When he got arrested, that's when they come to find out it was 27 children living in their child. They had some kids didn't even, there was some deaths. Like some children were born, stillborn or died through to whatever type of inconvenience or sickness and he would bury them there you know like on site wherever he was living and kept them in the house um minimized their interactions with people in the neighborhood neighbors people children their age anyone that can be become suspicious he um kept that to a minimum and then if you became suspicious he's moving he's taking you to another state another area And this went on for 20 years until this girl was able to get to a hospital and, you know, tell what happened and break the story free. So that's freaking crazy. So in the end, I think, you know, and this is just my opinion. Some people be like, oh, well, you can't say that because she was a victim. And I know she was a victim, but because I'm a victim. I'm not going to have my kids be a victim. We're getting the fuck up out of here. So I don't know if it would have been me, like Harriet Tubman in the middle of the night on the Underground Railroad, trying to call some family, something, a Uber, something to get me and my kids up out of there. You know what I'm saying? And bring it, bring light to the issues of what was going on. But I do understand that she was an abused woman too. But because she knew what was going on, I feel like she should be culpable and held responsible as well. The mom, she got her scot-free because she's a victim. I don't think that part is fair. But um, other than that, he got 90 years in 2013. 90 years. Who? They should have actually just, you know, euthanized him, in my opinion, because what the heck is that? And, um... The more I look at his pictures, especially when he was younger, and, you know, I, I rap, I, you know, do music. I felt like I've come across this dude, not in a sexual way, not like he tried to holler at me, nothing like that, but just being in different circles, right? He's a video director. I feel like I've encountered him and met him, you know, in back in the day. Thank God we didn't cross paths like that because that dude was crazy. 
And who does that to your children? It reminds me of a story when I lit, which is not a story. It's actually a fact too. It was a family call. Let me pause it right here and I'll tell you, give, give me one second. So in Portsmouth, Virginia, and, um, yeah, so I got to Virginia in 1993, August, right? So there you go. So this happened before I got there, but for years, many years, cause I've been in Virginia for 20 years. So for many years, I would hear people talk about PLRTs and I thought because, you know, the Southern accent, I thought people were saying Pierre Artis, Pierre Artis. No, it's really P L P L Artis. And his name is like Penrico L Artis. Right. So this is a dude, a businessman, a black businessman owned multiple barbershops, apartment buildings, you know, like he was a, a, um, a, a prominent man, businessman in Portsmouth. And for 40 years, he was raping his children and his grandchildren and his grandchildren's children. So anyone named Artis, it's a part of that ancestral makeup. And what I think, um, you know, and I'm going to say allegedly because I don't really remember a hundred percent, but I really want to say like deformity is what broke everything open. Right. Because they, they've been going on with the incest for so like 40 years worth of incense, incest that he was doing. So you started to see the deformities in his kids and they would go to school and it was like a known thing where they were like had learning disabilities after a while. And the rumors coupled with the rumors of like, hey, that family's inbred, they're incest and everything. But um. What really broke his case open, you know, that's a good thing. Like, for example, they, they study PLRTs. Like I know in Virginia anyway, at certain schools, they study that freaking case because dude was mayhem. He was a menace, a menace to Virginia. And he was a black man. And if you see, just like, um, Oswald Allende, black man. Now, there is another inbred family that's making rounds these days. Um, I think they're from West Virginia and they're white and they're called the Whitakers. The Whitakers definitely have years and decades of incest and inbred because as you look at the surviving family members, you see nothing but deformity, like deformity at a, at a crazily advanced stage. So that's where PL Artis was heading. Like deformity was there. Um, the, the learning disabilities was showing up. And um, to be honest, I don't even really, I think it was kind of a similar situation where one of the people finally broke out and was like, yeah, you know, I, I survived, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? And, and came forward. And that's how he was ultimately able to get, caught but he was messing with the children you know and getting them pregnant and um that's a terrible terrible thing terrible and then when everything went down you know like 
you could see, like, it was a point in time. I'm pretty sure now, just like we're everywhere else, it's like a lot of development and just, you know, knocking down of old landmarks and building of new buildings and et cetera. But it was a point in time where you can, in, you know, downtown Portsmouth, Virginia, it was like rows and rows of shopping centers and barbershops, et cetera. And they all had like artistes. Like Artiste Shopping Center, Artiste Barbershop, Artiste, because he owned a lot of real estate. So he owned a lot of real estate. He, um, and he was a crazy, I don't know what was that, incest, pedophile? I don't know what you want to call it. But yeah, so that's what that reminds me of. Sadly, they're both black men. Sadly, um... I, I never thought I would have ever, ex, not experienced, because thank God I didn't experience that, but witnessed that in my lifetime. Like, you know, on the news, or you're hearing stuff like that. You heard about that before. You hear about that from other races. But, wow, black people, and then, you know, in the hip-hop community. And then, like, PLRTs, he was in the 70s and the 60s and got caught, like, in 1993, you know, so he was going hard in the 60s and 70s. And everyone knew in the town and around him, everyone knew. But in those times, you know, raping children and doing weird shit like incest for some reason was not frowned upon, which I'm like, you create, you're fucking up your DNA. You're not keeping your DNA pure, you know, because maybe the first couple of rounds, you might be lucky, but it will show up eventually. Just like, just Google the inbred family, the Whitakers. You'll see what I'm talking about. And the, um, the artiste, um, I don't know any, uh, uh, you know, present day. I'm pretty sure there are some out there. Cause I know some people as, you know, as, you know, current as my age or a little younger that are like, yeah, they went to school with an artiste. They went to school with one of the artiste kids. They've seen them in school, etc. So yeah, dude. And he's been doing it for so long that he, when he finally went to jail, he was an old man. So he probably went to jail and died the next day. Like he was an old man, but he did it. So we had PL artiste in Portsmouth, Virginia, but then we also had Allende or Oswald Allende, AKA Charles McGill in New Jersey. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, um, his family. So when they, so back to Oswald Allende, killing me softly, the Fugees, his family, his parents did, they just vaguely, like mentioned how he lived with them, with the kids and his wife, his, you know, his original wife lived there before all the stuff went crazy and he started molesting the kids. He stayed with his parents for a little bit. And the parents was like, we kicked them out because we didn't like his way of thinking. And he was too Americanized. His, his, his way of thinking was too American because they are Nigerian so his family's are really originally from Nigeria, um, well-off people too, and, you know, came here, bought, you know, established themselves in Jersey and put their kids in good schools, college, et cetera, for him to turn around and do this. <laughs> Lord. But anyway, he's not even young right now. Like, 
he's in his 60s right now. But this happened in the 90s when I guess he was in his 40s. But he probably looked younger too because he's hanging around the Fugees who's in their 20s and shooting videos, etc. And then he had a young wife. And if you don't, I, I wish I could see me. I'm doing air quotes right now. So you wouldn't think that he, the way he looked and carried himself, you wouldn't think that he was no more, no older than the rest of his peers at the time. But, um, he was, he was significantly older <laughs> and he was a creep, a demented creep, you know? So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's the urban crime series, this series here. And of course, I can't, you know, and every episode, if it's the regular She Could Talk, the podcast, or the sub-series, the celebrity urban crime series, it's the same format. I'm going to always end it with a um, song. What I am going to change is the opening music for the urban crime series because the talk about it is She Could Talk. And even though... This is a subtopic of She Can Talk. I'm working on something creative for this particular series. So we'll work on that soon. But um, as every episode goes, I'm going to leave you with something, a song that's related to the episode. And I'm going to use Killing Me Softly. It's only right. The song is a classic. The video is a classic. And then now when you watch the video, it's like me anyway, I can't help but to think about all of the lives that were possibly being interrupted during that time frame when that video was being shot. Like, can you imagine those 27 kids were at the home in the house? And he's like, an action cut with Fuji's crazy. He's on the award show receiving the award, thanking his young wife who his real wife is probably at home watching this on TV. Like that's his fucking daughter. <sighs> anyway. So, you know, with the crime series it's really just for entertainment purposes. It's not really to hash out any legal options or nothing like that. And it's not to recreate anything. I'm just giving you the facts. That's why I even read some of the stuff, give you my sources. Today's information was provided by NPR, New York post, um, the source, um, Virginia pilot online and Virginia tech.edu just to let you know, cause I'm gonna start citing my sources too. Cause I ain't playing with y'all, especially when it comes to these type of, you know, episodes, I'll definitely do that a little bit more, but, um, yeah, I'm going to leave you there. You know, like I always say, it don't matter what episode it is. If you like it, tell a friend, if you don't like it, tell a friend It's not going to hurt either way. And when you leave here, Go home and love yourself, okay? You can't love me if you don't love you. And y'all be easy, y'all be good, all right? Until next time, love y'all. From my mouth to y'all ears, I love you. Peace. Drumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song
This is why I cleft refuge. Fries well. Little bass sitting up here on the bass. While I'm on this roast, I got my girl L. One time, one time. Hey, yo, L, you know you got the lyrics. I heard he sang a good song. I heard he had a style. And so I came to see him and listen for a while. And there he was, this young Little bass, 
Jerry, one time. Here. We got warming uh, up in here. This is warming how we up are in here. Everybody got a breaking point, kid, and they'll rat on you. The family niggas will rat on you. That's why we gotta be prepared to take whoever out we need to get to.